Hello, this is Tracy with Just a Kiss. Today's episode, we will be speaking with Desi Wood-Jones. She is the former vice mayor and city council for Oakland, California, and she is the current California president for BWAPA, or Black Women Organized for Political Action. I look forward to sharing with you Desi Jones' interview, and our title is Speaking Truth to Power. Thank you for joining. Women's History Month is a celebration of women, the contributions to history, culture, and society, and has been observed annually for the month of March in the United States since 1987 and universally since 1911. The 2021 theme is a continuation of 2020's, Valiant Women of the Vote, Refusing to be Silenced. This theme recognizes the battle for women's suffrage, which was gained for the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920. For over 100 years, women have been fighting for the right to vote. They made speeches, signed petitions, staged demonstrations, and argued over and over again that women like men deserved all of the rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Speaking Truth to Power, titled for this segment, as a quote from our guest Desi Wood-Jones, touches on how we need to speak up and tell the truth and bring power in our words. Speaking up brings us our energy, better actions, and helps us to show interest in our community and the significance of our world. This is a wonderful opportunity to talk with strong women in the month of March. And today I'm very excited to be able to introduce to you Desi Wood-Jones. Well, thank you for inviting me, Tracy. It's my pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Desi Wood-Jones at 79 years young is a strong example of a profound community activist yesterday and today. We spoke about where she was from and some of her younger experiences and earliest influences in life. Uh, My folks moved to California when I was six months old uh, from the South, Louisiana. But I did leave and I did a lot of traveling. I loved to travel back in the day and... uh, During the 60s, I moved back to um, Atlanta, Georgia, where I worked for SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was a civil rights organization, still is, but was really active then. And so I lived and traveled in the South working for uh, the organization doing book registration, civil rights work, et cetera. And then uh, likewise, travel abroad, spend some time in Africa, uh, in the Caribbean islands uh, and, and throughout the world to begin to get some exposure of how other cultures work. So, but for the most part, California has been home. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved back here um, in the late 60s and uh, pretty much have been here ever since. Well, that's really, uh, pretty easy. Um, 
I've, you know, of course, I've been influenced by lots of people over the years, but during my early formative years, it was really my parents. And I say that not just in passing, which a lot of people say, but I'm grateful that my parents, both my mother and my father, were very involved uh, in their communities. And again, in the fight for justice and equality. Uh, my father was very active in the NAACP way back mm -hmm. in the day. My mother was active in the National Council of Negro Women. She was a lifetime member. And both of them were very active in the church so I was able to see from them and glean from them the importance of being involved. And one of the things that you used to say to us was that it was very important that if you want to see change made, don't wait and let someone else make the change for you. Mm -hmm. And you have to be engaged in making the change for yourself. And okay. so that always stayed with me. And as I, of course, I grew older, I was very involved in high school activities, I was, you know, getting student government, uh, Black Student Union, uh, the, the youth chapter, the NACP. But I started off very young because I had that influence of my parents. And certainly there were others, uh, instructors that influenced me as well. But uh, my parents were probably the greatest influence at that early age. With the strength of her parents and college at hand, I asked Desi who she gravitated to and who was her influence as a young woman in her 20s. She shared with me her passion in community activism and her direct involvement in organizing and joining with her peers of similar desire to take on the heavy responsibility during the crucial period of civil rights movement of the 60s. How she was able to participate with a variety of organizations that wanted to see the change that her parents did and she proudly took on the battle of activists and movements. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, leaving, after leaving high school, um, I, like I said, I, of course, went on to college, and I was always, again, involved in as a community activist, I guess I said, organizer. Uh, during that the, that period of time, it, the early 60s, mid 60s, a lot of activity going on in the civil rights movement. Yeah. A lot of organizations, such as some of your young people may not have heard of, hopefully they have or they'll Google it, yeah. organizations like CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality, okay. organizations like SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, there was a group in the Bay Area that I belong to called the BCPC, that was the Black Conference Planning Committee. Okay. There was just a host. And of course, most recently, people have seen on TV, the, the new movie that's streaming about Fred Hampton's life from the Black Panther. Mm -hmm. In that day, in, this, in that time period, when mm -hmm. I was going into college and in that area, there was a lot of activity uh, in the community, especially for African Americans who wanted to see change, right. wanted to see justice. And But it didn't mean that was only African Americans, because certainly there was a movement for the women's movement that was yeah. coming into being as well. Uh, people feeling that uh, we didn't have equality, women were not being paid the same as men uh, in terms of positions of equity and justice for equal fair work for equal pay, equal pay for equal work. So there was a lot of uh, energy, a lot of activity. There was a, the, the whole notion of the anti-war movement activists that 
Oh, Didn't wow. want to see us in Vietnam War. So my my point is is that if you were an activist, there were a lot of things you could gravitate to to make a difference. And so people at that time that were certainly um, were influential in my life were people I could look to like the Barbara Jordans. It was not that much older than me. But she was active in the political movement making change. Okay. Uh, one person I had a great opportunity to meet was Amy Garvey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, she was married, she was the wife of Marcus Garvey. Oh, I mean, the one and only his iconic historian, Marcus Garvey. And Marcus Garvey had died, but Amy Garvey was still living in the Caribbean islands uh, off of Trinidad. And I just had the pleasure somehow, I don't remember exactly who connected us, but to sit at literally at her feet, but to sit on the floor and listen to the stories that she lessons that she shared. And so I was blessed to have to have these engagements with people that literally had been engaged in, in a very profound way wow. in making change in this country. Um, as I moved from college and moved from the civil rights movement, in fact, I had the opportunity to get very involved in the women's movement, which is kind of where I still am at a different level. But right. um, I worked with, again, people like um, Congresswoman Diane uh, Watson at that time, retired mm. now, um, Maxine Waters, who people are still familiar with, and they call her Auntie Max. These are personal friends of mine, wow. Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Uh, who we started out, uh, you know, I was a little older than Barbara, but we started in the struggle uh, together. Yeah. So with the people that I was surrounded with that I always respected, and I think we kind of inspired each other as a result of our dedication and their dedication, uh, their compassion for change. And so it was just it was so much, much of that that was going on that yeah. helped to keep me engaged uh, and motivated. My mother was, you know, get married, have children, take, you know, be a wife. That, you know, that was your... That was what we were supposed to be. Raise your family. Raise your family. You know, if you do anything else, great. But, you know, just raise your family and be happy with that. And not that I wasn't happy with that I was, but I want, I had the drive to do more. And I just feel like that generation just kind of stifled us still. But... Yet you were part of that same generation, but you didn't do the stifling. You were the one talking. So. But you see, it's so that's such an excellent point um, that you raised, Tracy. Because first of all, the reality is again, a lot of our parents, and certainly your parents, mm-hmm. uh, with a, a generation before me, yeah, they they grew up, and also culturally depends on what kind of culture you came from. That's true. That really talked about the place of a woman. Right. The place of the woman was in the home, uh, not yeah. working, making sure. And the only time we went to work was we had to find a way if something happened to our husbands or we got a divorce. Yeah. And we had to take care of our families. And then we again, we went to work in jobs where we were underpaid. And so, but we were raised in that culture. Get married, have a family, you know, try to find a house if you can afford it. And have the little picket fence around it, that sort of yeah. mentality. But th- we, some of us were, again, blessed enough, as I said earlier, to have been encouraged to say, if we don't like 
this situation as it exists, then it was up to us to get involved and make the change. And so, as I said, in yeah. the 60s, we began to see lots of that kind of activity. So it was pretty easy to find a place to gravitate to if okay. that was your mindset. A mentor is someone who allows you to see the hope inside yourself. Oprah Winfrey. Miss Desi Woods-Jones, or Mother Desi, as Desi's daughters call her, is proud and more than happy to be the strength for the young women she comes across. She has a strong organization that provides opportunities for young Black women who are interested in politics, who want to fight for their passion to strengthen the community, a community that has been directly affected by the broken parts of our American history. One of my passions as what I consider to be a fortunate and blessed uh, person to be engaged with young people, as I try to provide that. Matter of fact, I have a group of, of ladies that I work with in my organization, and many of them call me Mother Desi. Um, they see me, they're called Desi's Daughters. Aww. And it's because I want to be there for them. Some of them uh, have asked that I adopt them. Uh, <laughs> some have lost their, their, their mothers early on uh, for a variety of reasons. And so I have tried to not to take their, their, their mother or their parents' place, but to be a mentor, a resource, an inspiration when I can for them. And so I think there are people in our communities, in our lives, that we don't have that influence at home, we need to reach out and look at people where, where there are folks that can help provide that connection for you. And there are people out there really willing to do that. And so I, I would encourage young people, if they don't have that uh, tool at home, if they don't have the parents, they either don't have time or they've lost their parents or in some cases, parents may be in prison or they yeah. have all kinds of health challenges that they look to, uh, uh, again, whether they're in churches or organizations, but mentors that can help provide that support for them because we all need that. I shared with Ms. Desi my feeling as a teacher and how I was a mentor in Arizona and felt most of the students could depend on me. They trusted me and looked up to me quite easily. But when I moved to L.A. as a teacher, the students, it shifted. They didn't trust me all the way. It took them some time to really believe that I was on their side. I explained to her how I felt like I was fighting a battle to get them to believe in me. And she gave me some really good insight on the reasoning why. That might be. It, it's you know it's interesting. It's like what we say now when people see now Kamala Harris as the first African American woman to be elevated to the highest uh, position in this country, the vice president of the United States. And, and as we see authors and other talented people and musicians, no matter what their profession, as folks say, if I can see it, I can be it. Yeah. And so what we are trying to do is to say how important it is in our country, in our communities, yeah. in our schools, to have that diversity. Because it, you know, we've grown in a country that has planted 
many cases deliberately a lot of mistrust. Right. And right. so people have to grow into relationships right. and grow into trust. But it also helps. Just be consistent when you're yourself, okay. yeah. when you're authentic, yeah. when you're real, eventually people will gravitate to you because they'll see that and they'll yeah. feel that. We had a lot of conversation on the politics of women and how women political role has been a process of social and political change for the last three centuries. Women have pushed through some barriers, but many more need to be brought down. How we have taken some of the things that we've went through for granted. Women used to be dependent and supported by their man and how it has been important for women to not only have the movement of continuing the political transformation for women, but to have an equal voice in all areas of the political decisions. I think if, you, if we trace our, our history, uh, even as, you know, right here in the United States, we go back um, to the founding of this country yeah. Uh, women in many cases weren't even as, as included as being humans. Right. You know, they couldn't, we didn't have the right to vote. Um, you know, we take all of that for granted now. The, well, that's what the whole women's suffrage movement was yeah. about. Yeah. We just celebrated this year the hundreds of years of the women's suffrage movement. Um, but women was always deemed uh, lesser than. It was really the man that was propelled out there to make the policy decisions to yeah. uh, run for office. And women always seen it as a supporter of that. Right, right, right. Um, and so part of the struggle of the women's movement was to finally say, we want an equal voice. Uh, women are more than 50% of the country and certainly more than 50% of the voters. And so that's where you get into, again, the, the need to make sure our voices and women's voices are heard at every level of governance. And that's something that I feel very strong about. And I've worked on many, many years to help uh, move that uh, forward, that up forward and encourage women to get involved and engage in public policy making decisions. And it doesn't always have to be an elective office, council or board of supervisors or the state legislature. There are corporate boards and if we still look around now and if you look at the major corporations in this country, very few of them have women uh, on their boards that are making powerful decisions yeah. about our lives. And again, we are beginning to see inroads into that, but it has taken many years of hard, dedicated work and push to open those doors. We talked about government and politics and how they impact every aspect of our lives, whether we like it or not. Government plays a huge role in our daily lives, ranging from the amount of tax you pay for your morning coffee to the type of light bulb you are allowed to purchase. Since we know that government impacts various choices we make, we might as well take the time to understand how the process works. Desi also shared that if you are interested in politics, the way to figure out which side and which area to go is to follow your passion. There's so many critical issues out there. Yeah. So you first start looking at 
what are those things that you are really dealing with every day? And we all deal with something every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I used to say to folks that I still say it and to a lot of people very often, folks, well, I don't have anything to do with politics. All politicians are crooks and, you know, they're the next. So it's not true. We stop and think that, first of all, everything that we live in green is political. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is that, for example, your students that may be in education, mm-hmm. the rules that they have to follow right now, whether they go to school or stay in school or learn by online, is a political decision. Yeah. Those is making that decision for you. The books that you read, the curriculum that you're involved right. in, the dress code that we have to wear, those are all the decisions that somebody is making. And if it's on the educational level, it's usually your school board mm-hmm. who are elected to mm-hmm. make decisions for the school. How much money you make, what the salary of the teachers are, that's a decision someone else is making. Yeah. So we have to take the, the political notion and understand what that means, other than just seeing again the negative impact that others have been put in our lives in terms of what they tell you and me. If we're dealing again with, um, uh, even in our faith community, uh, even in our healthcare communities, mm-hmm. uh, how hospitals are involved, who gets the care? A lot of times when we go in and we see that our children are, can't get into the hospitals because they don't have insurance. Who's making that decision? Right. You see, everything we do, someone in this society is making a decision about how it's happening. So I heard young people especially to think that through, to think that somebody is making a decision about everything you do in your life. And if you want to be a part of how, making that decision, how that decision is made, then you ought to consider the possibility of running for office. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody's not decided to do that. Yeah. But there are all kinds of ways to be involved, my goodness, that's of their boards, their commissions, and we need to engage more young people on those in that decision process. Yeah. Because it's the young people who are really greatly impacted by that and who are going to be the future leaders of our country. In right. some ways, they're leaders now. Yeah. So it is important to think about the concept of politics in a different way. Right. And when you think about it in the way I just described, that whatever you're doing, somebody's making a decision if you're not making it for yourself. Right. And that's why it's important to consider how now, once you decide, you might want to look into the possibility of where could I run and if I want to run, what should I run for? Or even if I don't want to run, what are the things that I do? Then I encourage folks to volunteer oh, for yeah. somebody that they respect has already uh, elected whether they're on the school board or council or your board of supervisors, but to volunteer, to work in their offices, be around, learn what that's about. Um, Each year until this pandemic, our organization, the state organization that I'm uh, uh, president of, we take busloads of young people to Sacramento, the city capital, and we call it our legislative learning and they they watch the lawmakers and how they make the laws um mm. and we talk to them and we talk to their staff and that has been such a wonderful learning experience for young people yeah. that you know they welcome that 
and then they turn around and then they want to get more involved. So giving people experiences, sharing with them so they can actually see what really goes on is a major step in terms of trying to get their interest level up. Because if people don't know what it's about, why would you want to be involved? Now, this is something that a lot of people don't talk about at the dinner table. So we need to provide another vehicle for them to understand the dynamics of what um, being engaged in the political arena really means. Sure, where to go with it. I applaud you for being open and thinking outside the box because learning, teaching and learning is about exposing people to things that they're, they're not aware of. And providing so it's not about taking sides. One of the things that troubles me again when people talk about think about politics, they think again in the sense of, of one or the other: conservatives, yeah, liberals, progressives. They think about Republicans, Democrats, independents, and so then that sort of forms the barriers that begin to have conflict. Yeah. When you when you're teaching and you're exposing, this is not about sides. It's about Actual information. Right. It's like, did you know this happened? Mm-hmm. And if they if they don't, people, if your students are not learning what's happening, mm-hmm. then they can't decide. I tell people, I don't care what party you belong to, and I'm telling you to run. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you run as a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. Run where, again, your passion lies. What is it that you care about? And you determine that first. But if you don't, sometimes people are running on ignorance. Yeah. So, for example, when you did the story on, you know, Black Wall Street, think how many people don't even know what that means and and to understand what the dynamics of what happened. Mm-hmm. So it's not about you taking sides. It's about you presenting right. information. And then people, once they have the factual information, can make decisions where right. they want to go with that. So I want to applaud you for exposing Yeah young people especially to those kinds of discussions because it's important for them to know and to have the facts so those people that are saying you're taking sides you know you tell them come see me i mean do you feel like there has been a lot of change or not enough well it has there has been movement uh it's certainly for people like uh, me who've been there a long time I think sometimes the movement is slower than we want it to be. Yeah. I applaud the young people now that are very engaged, especially those in the, in the again, the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, yeah. and others that are working in there for lack of you know, the gun control laws and that sort of thing, that they're, they're impatient and they're trying to move uh, these this legislation and policy changes and systemic racism, systemic sexism, they're trying to change that. Yeah. And I think that's great because for me, I see movement, but I also see it in incremental steps that sometimes move very slowly. Yeah. And when I think back on what we did back in the day, sometimes it looks like we made just gradual change. Yeah. And we're still trying to break that glass ceiling. So again, I go back to the example of our new vice president. Yeah. Just think how many other countries that we uh, basically think that we're ahead of and we have had women prime ministers, women, you know, presidents, and, and yet we have, we're still waiting to see the first woman president, but we're getting closer. Yes, so that's yeah. a good thing. I asked Desi what quotes were significant to her, and here was her answer. The first, the first one, and, and I, I go back to my spiritual base, is that 
uh, this is the day that the Lord has made us to rejoice and be glad in it. I always want to wake up on a positive mood. And that's one of the things I say to myself uh, in the mornings when I'm blessed to open my eyes again is that no matter what is going on out there, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful day, a wonderful opportunity uh, to live, enjoy people that you love, and to also make a difference. So this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad it is one. But on the other side of that, I remember very quickly that one, another phrase that I use a lot talking to uh, young people and people I work with is that the struggle continues. Mm-hmm. So it started when I was very young, growing up, seven, eight, nine, ten in my teenagers. And at 79, the struggle still continues. So it's not like we achieve something and it's over. We evolve every day, we make it. Hopefully we get better every day. Hopefully we grow every day in some way and grow in knowledge, grow in love, grow in a lot of different ways. But yet there's still work to be done. Yeah. And we have to remember that. So, and I think probably, uh, Tracy, the final uh, phrase that I'd like to use and probably use a lot, more people are now using it, is you have to be encouraged and be courageous enough to speak truth to power. Speak truth to power. Okay. Uh, we grow up learning against often to be afraid of what we consider to be powerful people, powerful organizations, powerful companies, yeah. powerful individuals. And it, we will never actually achieve uh, real equity, real um, fairness, real justice until we're able to speak truth to power. So when we believe something, have the conviction to speak to that. Even in a, a, a classroom, I'm not saying to be disrespectful, but even to the teachers, students have to be able to speak to be feels free to speak what they're what they're thinking, okay. so then you can get at resolving the uh, the issue. But either you're the uh, same thing of uh, speaking to a legislator, people you think of powerful, or you're in a meeting or boardroom, uh, speak up. Yeah. Be willing to say, "I have a voice, and my voice matters." But I, I encourage you to do that with respect of each other. Yeah. But that's very important to me to say, "Speak truth to power." I spoke to Miss Desi about who or what was one of the most influential moments she had. There's a couple things she said. Travel, of course. She said how it was very important to travel, and especially travel when you're young, to experience the world in all the different variety of life that it offers you. But one aspect that she brought up more than once was Amy Garvey. She found her to be one of the most amazing people and opportunities that she learned from firsthand. A few decades later, and it still was just as impressionable to her. Well, you're right. It is hard to uh, narrow that down. I mentioned earlier the opportunity to meet Amy Garvey. Yeah. I certainly would include that in one of the most significant. Again, for those that know history, know the story of Marcus Garvey. But we don't always know the story of his his wife, and have the opportunity to sit and have a conversation with her uh, for almost a day. I mean, we actually you know for a day or so, 
uh, was just so significant in my life and through moving. But there was also other, um, there were other influences in my life that were very significant. I think traveling uh, to certain countries, certainly to countries in Africa, uh, was very profound to me because it really opened your eyes to how other people live outside of what we see in our own bubble. Yeah. Uh, when people grow up, and sometimes I've looked at when I was living in on the city council in Oakland, there was a section of Oakland called East Oakland that I partially represented. And there were young people that had not only ever been out of East Oakland, hadn't been downtown Oakland, or let alone been over to San Francisco, mm-hmm. just across the bay, a 15-minute ride across the bay. Yeah. So those experiences are opening, they open your eyes to other cultures and other experiences. Yeah. So let alone people who travel to other countries. Right. And so whether we're in Africa or Europe, to see how other people live and do is such a magnificent eye-opener. And if you're able to do that young, just think the influences it has yeah. on your life. So many people work all their lives so they can finally earn yeah. enough money to travel. But by the time they do that, they're retirement age, you know, they're in their mid 50s, 60s, 70s. And I was fortunate enough to start doing that in my 20s. And so the travel through some of these different countries just was profoundly important in terms of um, opening my eyes and my vision uh, to what life, what could be, what the possibilities were. And I think that kind of thing was important. And I encourage who, especially young people, do as much traveling as you can. We talked about the miseducation that transpired not just between cultures within the United States, but across continents. How the travel was so important, not just for our own understanding and experience of other people, the way they live and the culture, and the food, and the sightseeing, of course, but also to learn from each other, to have no misunderstandings between each other, and to be able to transpire that information to make better decisions. Well, so so much of that, again, was because we have not had the opportunity in many ways to make, build those relationships connections. Uh, you know, in some places that I traveled to in, in Africa, um, we had wonderful relationships, but it was, again, a lot of misinformation yeah. that had been planted on both sides. Crazy. So until we bridge that. But people that read and study, I, I didn't find that to be a, a problem. But okay. you're right, that even in the different countries there, and I, I've traveled to a number of them, Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, it, it all is, even in their culture, there's some differences. But I found the same thing when I traveled to Mexico or when right. I went to Brazil. And, uh, you know, it was, it's the other countries in South America, um, Argentina. And I, I've been blessed, like I said, to do quite a lot of traveling. And the concept of how we view people is based on what people have learned. Yeah. And not what they've experienced. Exactly. What, what somebody else has told them or they've been taught. And we've right. had a lot of miseducation in this country and abroad. 100%. People miseducate us. And that's why we're glad to have teachers like you and my son and others who are 
knowledgeable and opening up the eyes yeah. of people to what really exists out there and not what somebody has made up. Right. Mother Desi has embraced her fate to stand up for the rights of those who feel voiceless or are fascinated with politics. We often lack the knowledge of the strength and solidity that comes from a strong woman who had to fight for herself and for those who did not have the support. Desi Woods-Jones, an influential woman who wears many hats, was just that kind of woman that many young women needed as a mentor in politics and just life decisions. Fighting for civil rights is definitely one aspect of her legacy, but her current fight for her passion in guiding young women who are seeking their rightful place on the political stage. I was blessed to meet and speak with such a dynamic and instrumental woman for her community and especially for Black women in politics and really for her whole community. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Miss Desi Woods-Jones. But before we go, she has one last thing to share with us. What she lives for. What keeps her going each day. Let me just say that there are three fundamental things that, um, that keep me going every day. Um, and that is one, faith. And I think everybody has their own right to, you know, yeah. their faith of the religious beliefs, but faith, family, and for me, sisterhood. Because I work with women so closely. They have been such a the wind beneath my wings and they're there and they're there, you know. Surround yourself with authentic, real people who care about you. It's nothing better than that than lifting you up. But faith and family are essential uh, for me. And that's what, you know, keeps me going every day and I uh to wake up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made that rejoice and be glad in it. It sort of starts my day. And uh, and look what it brought me today. It brought me with a conversation with Tracy Washington. And mm. so I've enjoyed this and hope Thank that uh, it's helpful to uh, those that get a chance to hear the interview. Yes, I'm so grateful. So grateful. I love it. I Spending an hour talking with Miss Desi Woods-Jones was inspirational. She had so much knowledge that one hour would definitely never be enough. The realization of the sacrifice that one woman can do, not just for herself, but for her community, not for just the black community, but for women. She brings such inspiration, such strength, and I feel so unaccomplished and realize there's so much more that I need to do how it must have felt to shake the hands and to experience life that she lived for women's equality, for both, that she had to fight both fights. It makes me wonder how powerful she must feel or was powerless because she had to fight two fights, not just civil rights, but also women's equality. She's such an inspiration for women. She's powerful. And she is the definition of a strong woman. I'm grateful for the time that she gave to me. And I hope that she will give me more. 
her legacies speaking truth to power. And I wonder if she realizes she too is someone's Amy Garvey.